Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. Magic is power. Obviously, yeah, this is Leaving a Legacy. Uh, my name is Patrick. I'm your legacy newbie and occasional actual legacy player. And with me this week uh, is Mr. Jerry Me, who is uh, on the line. Uh, a huge fan of our world champion New England Patriots, of course. And uh, just living the dream out in Boston. What's up, Jerry? Uh, not much. Pat uh, Pat actually asked me what I was doing tomorrow. I'm like, I don't know. It's Tuesday. He's like, <laughs> you going to the parade? I'm like, uh is it Easter? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm taking both my children out of school tomorrow to go to the Pages Parade, and it's going to be great. I can't wait. It's going to be a good time. I'm probably going to go to work. Uh, I mean, you can go to like don't. I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll just go you. to the parade next year, Pat. <laughs> it's true. We do get quite a few of them. It's been like a solid four months since we had a championship parade through Boston. So yeah, when uh, I was yeah. it was nice when I was working downtown because the parade route was actually went by my office, so I could just oh. watch the parade from my office while at work. Right. Right. Yeah, I think we're going to take the uh, the tea up to, uh, like, the commons tomorrow and just hang out there with the kids uh, for the afternoon and watch the parade go by and just enjoy enjoy the uh, the victory. It was a uh, great Super Bowl. Patriots taking down the uh, the Rams. And I feel like I feel like I heard a lot of people say they didn't like the game. And I feel like if you didn't like the game, you actually just don't like football because it was a phenomenal football game. <laughs> it wasn't a high-scoring game, but, like... Uh, it was an incredible defensive this is, battle. This is already way too much football than I was prepared for tonight. <laughs> I, it was supposed to be some witty banter, Pat, to get the people going. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if anyone makes a sports ball reference, I'm just going to remove you from the Facebook page or block you on Twitter. <laughs> because honestly, like, look, look, we all we all have our passions, man. And uh, like we were talking about in the pre-show, uh, passion, there's, there's not like a greater than passion or less than passion. So there's no need to put down football oh, just because, you know. Now you're... Just because just because we were the marginalized guys when we were playing Magic as as kids, you know, <laughs> some of us are also jocks, and that's okay. Uh, so I'm sorry for bullying you, Pat. I didn't, you know, I I feel like we just had a hallmark moment right there where <laughs> I like came to my senses and realized like I was the bully the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of hulking monsters, we have an awesome guest on this week. <laughs> we do, we do. Those of you might recognize the voice from our last episode, uh, but. For those of you who are unaware, we are returning to our History of Legacy series, and of course that means we need our resident legacy historian, Adam Barnello. How's it going, man? Hey guys, how you doing? What's going on? I for sure thought it was going to be Howard Zinn, so I thought that was our resident historian. I didn't realize, (laughs) I thought it was going to be like actual historian, not magic historian, so, um, but equally venerated, so welcome to the cast, man. Oh man, so many, so many references, so many references. (laughs) So speaking of Boston parades, I was in Boston for St. Patrick's Day in 2004, and I was in South Boston during the St. Patrick's Day parade, and it is one of my favorite memories in Boston. And then I went to the bank to try and get money out so that I could take the tea to get back to my uncle's house, and I had $3 left in my bank account, so I walked across the entire length of the city of Boston (laughs) on foot. It took me two and a half hours 
on St. Patrick's Day through, you know, I, I saw Cheers. I didn't plan on seeing Cheers that day, but I went to Cheers. And uh, and I walked the entire length of Boston to go back to my uncle's house. It was, uh, it was a great morning and a miserable afternoon. If, if there's one city that is, like, not built for any kind of transit, be it by foot, by train, by no, car. Boston's it's an the city awesome. Of Boston. Uh, Boston is an awesome walking city. I would. Actually, it is actually. It it was a nice walk. I just was not planning on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's why Boston's such a terrible city for driving is because Boston yes. is a city designed to walk in. Because it was designed before cars. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And yeah. I've also walked across Boston, and yes, it is a hike. Yes, you are exhausted and your feet hurt at the end, but it is just a really cool walk where you see a lot of really cool stuff. I do love Boston. I love the history of Boston. I'm like as a someone who's studied history in college, and that is like my first and foremost passion. Uh, walking through Boston and being able to see like um, just these historical landmarks, and like being able to walk through the commons and see the area where the Boston Massacre was, and like laying up, like stopping traffic and laying in the street where the victims of the Boston Massacre were shot. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty awesome experience. I used um, to work next door to that. I used to see tourists reenacting the Boston Massacre all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just it's so great to live among among like history there. It's not like you're out in Los Angeles, which is a city that's like 20 years old and no one really cares about it. You know, tying it's, it all uh, together of history, Boston and uh, cosplay. Also at the Boston Massacre site, there is this awesome dude known as Kitar Bear. It's a guy who wears a bear <laughs> costume like, okay, and plays the Kitar. Third, I have a Kitar uh, Bear reference in this podcast because Kitar Bear is awesome. Is a, he is a, is a sight of Boston guy. to see. 223 episodes in this is the third time you brought a kitar bear i just wanted to mention that <laughs> sorry i think adam was trying to say something oh i was just saying my best friend from college is a he's a tuba player and he plays tuba in, in a bear suit <laughs> for, he's tuba bear yeah he uh oh they're multiplying for a while i don't know if he's still doing it but for a while he uh he used to be in a post-funk band where he played tuba with a bunch of people that they were like 20 people in the band or something like that were they all so in costume she, no uh, he was oh. the only one he was the only I one thought... which actually kind of makes it better <laughs> that makes it so much better yeah so shout out to brett go because uh oh that's my that's my favorite that is like uh... that is like when you're on another level with the funk and you are just like straight in straight up costume and no yeah. one, everyone else is like just Wearing regular clothes. That is. He was. Uh, he was the officiant at our wedding, and I was like tempted to have him wear the bear suit, but I don't know if my wife would have been up for that. Oh, that's so, so good. I think Kitar Bear and uh, Tuba Bear need to do a mashup, Jerry. Yeah, make I it think happen. So. I think so. We'll bring them together. It'll be our next. Uh, it'll be our next drive for the podcast. <laughs> it'll be our next intro for the. It'll be the strangest intro for the cast. Oh, stranger than this one. I, I can't imagine the number of people who open up this episode titled "History of Legacy Goblins." <laughs> <laughs> and are treated to 20 minutes of football, cosplay, and tuba bear talks. I feel like, I feel like if you want to learn about the history of goblins, you got to sit through some, it is some fandom stuff. And you have to be, let's you have segue to be... there, right? Because if you want to hear about the history of goblins, then you had to play through some real garbage <laughs> goblin decks for a long time before it got good. It's true. It's true. It's pretty fitting. Goblins are a meandering tribe in the history of magics, just like our conversation. Man, we are so meta. So, <laughs> so uh, show of hands, like who here had like a goblin themed deck growing up? Like as absolutely, a kid? yes, like, for sure, right? Yeah, it, it mine was terrible. It had a bunch of the uh, raging goblins, which was a one one haste creature for for a single red. Oh, you're a noob. Yeah, that, I think that's noob. like the first goblin if, I ever I ever put in a deck. If <laughs> if can, can you I... were playing with goblins of the flarg and <laughs> goblin <laughs> digging team, and I knew uh, digging team. I, well, 
and uh, Goblin Balloon Brigade was that was oh, yeah. a real big game because those babies could fly. I'm going to split the middle with you guys because one of my first casual decks that I made, and it actually led directly into me building my first competitive deck of Stasis, was I had a Goblins deck in Onslaught Block, and I was playing against Stasis in a tournament. And I ended up winning the game despite my opponent having a stasis in play using uh, Skirk Prospector, which lets you sacrifice a goblin to add one red mana to your mana pool. And oh, gob- yeah. And Goblin Sharpshooter. Modern staple Skirk Prospector. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and Goblin Sharpshooter, which it untaps whenever a creature dies. Take that stasis. Um, so yeah, using Skirk Prop- Prospector to sack my own goblins to untap my goblin sharpshooters to ping my stasis opponent to kill him. Jeez. <laughs> and, uh, it's what made me want to build stasis losing, uh, losing to stasis in other cir- circumstances. But that's like one of my earliest magic memories in a, of a tournament and pulling that win out was, uh, was, uh, so good. Actually shout out to my opponent, Andy, you, that's how much I remember it. I still remember my opponent's name at the time. <laughs> that's nice. My first goblin deck was, as I said, it was a bunch of creatures from the dark and uh, and other pre-black border, black bordered sets and uh, fallen empires, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I remember distinctly that when I was like maybe 13 or 14, I brought it to a tournament, a local tournament. And I can't remember if that was before they split it to type one and type two or if it was right around the time that they did that. But it was, you know... Very, very early on in the game at that point. I think the only, like, real lord was Goblin King, and I might have had one. And uh, I brought it in, at the time, uh, it was before Deck Protector had started making, like, real dedicated card sleeves. So the only card sleeves you could get were the penny sleeves that came for, like, baseball cards or top loaders. And so my whole deck was was double-sleeved in penny sleeves inside top loaders and what? i swear to god the deck was like a foot and a half tall that's I, I, I remember those days oh my god yeah my freaking goblin deck was like 20 mountains and 41 drops there were goblin grenades in there though i i know there were goblin grenades oh yeah that was the best part about playing it goblin grenade is just uh one red it's a sorcery right it's uh, an instant. It is an instant? Oh, damn. Even better. Yeah, one red. Oh, yeah. This was back in the day when uh, Wizards printed bomb instants. <laughs> um, but uh, goblin. <laughs> yeah, one one red instant sacrifice a goblin, deal five damage. <laughs> I want to say I actually have a copy of my little bulk box here. They're pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, speaking of, I got some factoids for goblins. So, Oh, I'm oh. sorry. It is a sorcery. I don't want to get called out on that. Oh, it, it, is it is a sorcery. Okay, I thought. Okay, cool. But uh, shout yeah. out to Jerry, by the way, Jerry, you did a ton of work for this episode. And I want to say, like, you sent me an article to read, and, and full disclosure, I never read the whole thing. Thanks. So you, <laughs> I, I went to, I tried to, I just didn't have time today. You did a lot of work, man. So shout out to Jerry. People who enjoy this episode, tell Jerry thank you because he did a great job. Oh, thanks, Pat. Uh, but yeah, Goblin I, Digging Team. I got a whiteboarder though. So this good. is from what? What? Not the dark. What's the? What's the other one? Chronicles. Yeah, Chronicles. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a gob. Ah, uh, never mind. I'm not gonna bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like there was a real, a, a pretty racist goblin digging team art version that got made. Oh, really? It was like look it up. It was like goblins, and it very clearly resembled them like digging under the Great Wall of China or something. Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know if I remember that art. 
I'm looking at I just now. remembered uh, Goblin Scouts, which was like five mana sorcery, make three 1-1 one, one goblins from Mirage. I very distinctly remember the artwork of that because it's three goblins hiding behind boulders. <laughs> the the goblins cards are one of the cool. Oh, of course, uh, of course, the art of the it's by Phil Foglio too. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's the goblin digging team art from uh, sixth edition. It's uh, it's a little questionable. <laughs> yeah, so the early days of goblins were pretty terrible. Like the, the with the exception of maybe one or two of them, which were kind of good. Uh, they were really, really bad for a long time. It was kind of a joke uh, that, you know, it was like a little kid deck that, you know, you just brought a pile of goblins and you would, you would, it's like someone would play like a mountain on turn one and either like a Mons Goblin Raiders or like a, a Goblin Balloon Brigade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the more seasoned players would just, you know, smile internally and think, all right, I've got to buy this round. <laughs> That's really nice. Right. Um, exactly. It's like someone showing up with their werewolf deck today. Right. Right. <laughs> And I mean, like, a lot of the tribal decks were like that at the time, right? Like, I, I think real early on, like, Merfolk was okay, because, like, uh, like the Merfolk Lord was better than the other lords were. Right. Elves yeah. wasn't really good, because there wasn't a critical mass of anything. Like, Llanowar Elf was good, but there weren't really anything else to go with it. Exactly. So, I mean, all the tribes were like that. And it's funny, because goblins, merfolk, elves, it was the way Richard Garfield almost intended it, like in yeah. alpha, in alpha, there is goblin King Mons, goblin Raiders and uh, goblin balloon brigade from the very right. beginning. And it's facts like the reason why we call plus one, plus one effects for a certain type of creature, a Lord effect is because goblin King was a Lord. Yeah. It's creature, creature type Lord, creature type Lord. Like that's where Lord comes from. Mm-hmm. Two so, goblin Kings did not pump each other. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's why Goblin King doesn't get played anymore, because there have been strictly better upgrades made. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, Goblins were in Magic from the beginning, but they were just this casual deck for the longest time. I think the first Goblin that actually was good, and and it's, it's possible that I'm forgetting about some of the stuff in the very, very early days, but the first one that I can distinctly remember where it was like, this card is going to get played in good decks was Mog Fanatic. And it was almost (laughs) specifically because of the way that the rules worked at the time where you could put combat damage on the stack and then sacrifice the Mog Fanatic. So you actually did two damage with the Mog Fanatic instead of just a single damage the way it would now. I remember doing those tricks. That was my favorite part about damage on the stack was Mog Fanatic. Right, and and that was the, the card that distinctively got much, much worse. I mean, like that was the example that everybody used at the time when they removed that rule that was like, well, this card's terrible now because you can't do that anymore. Right. Um, there were a lot of jackal pups that were getting killed by Mog Fanatics during that era. <laughs> it's true. And I mean, and that's just goes to show you how, um, uh, you know, involved into magic lore and magic history goblins are. I actually looked it up. Did you know there has never been a standard format where there was at least some goblins legal? Goblins have been legal in every standard format since the beginning of time for magic. Hmm, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I also looked up there are only uh, four sets that don't have goblins, Amonkhet, Innistrad, Theros, and Kaladesh. Those are the only four uh, planes that don't have goblins on them. And it's telling that when you talk to a magic player about little green men, they <laughs> instinctively know that you're talking about the red creatures instead of elves, and right? Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, I just I just found that fascinating when I was when I was researching this, just like how pervasive goblins are throughout Magic's history, and yet despite that, it took a very long time for them to actually get good. Yeah, basically until onslaught block. Yes, so that's really where it comes about. Um, onslaught block, which is also right when I started playing Magic, which is why, like, I love these these styles of tribal decks because it was huge then. It's what drew me into the game originally. Originally, uh, was onslaught block. So um, I actually looked up here in uh, 2002. Mons Johnson, uh, who fun fact, Mons Johnson is actually a friend of Richard Garfield's. And Mon's Goblin Raiders in Alpha is named, there his. Is was, named after him. I was going to ask that, actually, because I saw the Mon's Johnson name, and I'm like, huh, I know there's at least one car with, that's called Mon's Goblin Raiders. I was wondering if it was uh, related. There you go. Yep, so he was a friend of Richard Garfield. He was on the Alpha playtest team. Um, he worked for Wizards of the Coast at the time and then left to actually be a professional Magic player. Um, so he started having success... Go figure, he really likes goblins, considering that goblins are named after him. Um, But uh, he started uh, playing a deck that kind of brought everything together. And we kind of touched on this earlier. Um, For the longest time, a lot of goblins cards just weren't considered playable. And it's not that good goblin cards hadn't been printed. There were like some of these cards that we consider busted now, like Goblin Matron. Uh, Goblin Ringleader, and even Goblin Recruiter uh, were considered unplayable when they got printed. But with Onslaught Block, it reached a critical mass where they could all come together into just a busted deck. And we're going to see Goblins ends up having several cards banned out of it uh, through its uh, progression through Legacy. So right around the time that you were getting back into Magic, right around the uh, the 2002-2003 time frame, um, this was one of the things that was in my first uh, History of Legacy article um, on Channel Fireball when I did those back in the day. And if you want to find those, I don't know if you guys have yeah. show notes that we can link it to. Yeah, let's um, link it, link or you it. can find it on my Twitter or whatever. But uh, the very first article I wrote in that series was kind of like the precursor to Legacy in the old 1.5 format. And uh, one of the one of the few decks that kind of made the transition over from old standard and extended into the pre legacy format was goblins. And, and it was because the, the combination of goblin lackey into heavy mana restriction cards, like you jump so far ahead in the curve that you're playing five drops on turn two. And there's a lot of decks where like, if their game plan is to just like wrath you on turn four, you're, you're killing them before that. Um, Not to mention the combo aspect of it, too. Uh, For the most part, Food Chain Goblins was the prevalent deck, and really like one of the premier aggro decks of the precursor to Legacy 1-5 format, which um, was a very combo-heavy format. So in order to keep up with those type of decks, it's pretty impressive that, you know, a bunch of little red one-drops can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's talk about that. So in, in the precursor days, so, um, you know, we've progressed some time through Magic. It's been about 10 years. Uh, Onslaught Block gets released, and we're right before Legacy actually becoming a format. We're in kind of the final days of Type 1.5. Yep. And, and Mons Johnson is putting up results in Extended and Standard, which carry tends to carry over into 1.5 at the time just because of the way people build decks and uh, the way it uh, kind of flows into each other. But he starts putting up results with uh, a Goblins deck. And uh, 
with it, the I believe it was the Japanese players at uh, I want to say Worlds ended up taking it and uh, really refining it. But it just brought together all these cards together: uh, Goblin Lackey, Goblin Matron, Goblin Recruiter, and Goblin Ringleader as this engine that could just power through the entire deck. So, so for those of writing at home that are listening at home that that aren't familiar with some of those cards. Um, I think the one that's probably the least likely to be known is Goblin Ring uh, Recruiter. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a two mana one and a red for a one two, and when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for any number of Goblin cards and Goblin creature cards, and put them on top of your library in any order. You get to choose the order. So you shuffle the rest of your deck, and then you put all of the Goblins on top of your library. So what they would do is they would set up a chain of Goblin Ringleader, which when that enters the battlefield, you reveal the top four cards of your library, you put all goblins in your hand, you put the rest of them on the bottom of your library. So you would every fourth card would be a Goblin Ringleader, and you would just Ringleader into Ringleader into Ringleader and draw four cards with each one of those. Um, the, the, the thing that made it really broken in, in the old 1-5 format is that you used... Uh, um, Go- goblin Lackey? No, no, no. The uh, the enchantment. I'm totally blanking on it right now, and it's bothering me. Food chain? Um, yes, thank you. I'm, I'm so sorry. No. Total brain fart on that. Yeah, <laughs> so you do food chain, food chain. So it's the only greed card of the deck, and it's a four mana... Uh, I'm sorry, three mana green enchantment, two and a green, and you can exile a creature you control to add its converted mana cost plus a green to your mana pool, but you can only use that to cast creatures. So you would, you know... Attack with a lackey, and you would put in, uh, let's say, like the first ringleader or whatever. Doesn't really matter what the first creature is, but then you would use that to start to ramp. So uh, you could do this as early as turn two because the deck also ran Chromox. Uh, it was like right when Chromox was actually released, and it was legal as a four of in the format at that time. Uh, they hadn't restricted it anywhere yet, so it was still legal in, in uh, 1.5. So you'd get out this, basically you would get out a couple of goblins, and then you would uh, play Food Chain. You would use your uh, recruiter to stack your deck, and then you would start to use the ringleaders to chain into more ringleaders, to chain into more ringleaders, to chain into more ringleaders, and you would pay, play uh, Siege Gang Commander, and play a whole bunch of goblins, and then it uh, much like any other deck, it also had um, War Chief, so they all get haste, and you can attack your opponent for a bunch of damage. And then uh, the the list that I found actually ran. Um, I, I'm gonna blank on this card, and it's gonna bother me. But it's like it's it's like rights of uh, blood uh, or it, oh, retribution of blood, yeah, something Retrib- like that. Yep. I, I don't even remember the name. It's a really obscure-ass card. It's like one in a red for a sorcery, and you can, like, for each... You, you reveal the top four cards of your library, put them in the graveyard, and for each creature, all your attackers get plus one, plus oh for each one of those creatures. But because you stacked your deck with the recruiter, it's always going to be four creatures. So for two mana, you give all your guys plus four, plus zero until end of turn. Mm-hmm. That's a weird deck, man. But it was like... It was a combo deck when the decks weren't really that good. So... It, it was almost kind of one of the first examples of an aggro combo deck. Like Yeah, yeah, like for you, sure. You could play it as just an aggro goblins deck where you get your goblin lords out, plush your guys, get your pile drivers, which was printed in Onslaught block that was a very aggressive creature, and you could just win through the attack step, or you could just combo off on people's face. They That's call- right. They called it uh, Goblin Recruiter was Goblin or Fiction, kind of in, yeah. in result in relation to uh, Factor Fiction. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, and just the explosive card that kind of made it all happen was uh, Goblin Lackey, too, because Goblin yeah. Lackey let you set your curves so high up uh, where you could get into these three and four drops really quickly and get Food Chain going to just, you know, finish the finish the uh, combo. And we'll talk more about Goblin Lackey in a minute um, as it pertains to, like, the early days of Legacy. But the interesting thing about the 1-5 format is, um, for those unfamiliar with what that was, it was, at its, at a certain point in time, prior to the establishment of Legacy in 2004, 1-5 was kind of like somewhere between Extended and Type 1, mm-hmm. which is now referred to as Vintage. So the way that that format worked was anything that was banned or restricted in in Vintage was banned in 1-5. There was no separate ban list for this for this format so it was like if you wanted to play regrowth it was restricted in vintage so it was banned in one five like you couldn't play regrowth um but there were some glaring absences from the restricted <laughs> list in vintage that made them legal in one five so the format really revolved around these pillars of the format which are strangely enough still pillars of the format in vintage which are mana drain Mistress Workshop and Bazaar of Baghdad. There were really like three decks that were very prominent at the time. It was Mana Drain Control, which we know is basically land still, but it was blue red. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, it was blue red. Uh, workshops, because workshops broken, so like there was some <laughs> stacks variant that was legal at that time. And then the third one was surprisingly not Dredge because it was before Dredge was actually a mechanic, right. but it was World Gorger Dragon combo. Uh, was the bizarre deck at that time. So all three of those decks uh, had a really difficult time dealing with a turn one Goblin Lackey and stopping Goblins from doing its thing if a Goblin Lackey resolved on turn one. So it was like, if you could connect with that first Goblin Lackey, then the the game's wide open. Because you're really breaking open what the opponents are trying to do by playing a 1-1 for one. Right. It's just the linchpin of the deck. And so many games were decided by... Turn one Goblin Lackey, do you have the Swords to Plowshares? No? Okay. Boom. <laughs> and that's really what happened with, with you know, once once Legacy itself kind of became a thing. Um, when they separated the ban list in 2004, most of what existed as Type 1.5 no longer existed. It uh, was... Real quick before we... I just want to point out uh, with Extended moving on, where we talked about glaring emissions in Extended... Goblin Lackey was banned yeah. in extended. Yeah. That's how good Goblin Lackey was. And that's a format where creature combat was more likely. You know, you were actually supposed to be prepared to be able to deal with a 1-1 one, one for one, but it, it was too good. Yep, exactly. Um, so I just wanted to point that out, like, just to put in perspective just how how important Goblin Lackey is to the deck. Yep. Uh, so... That didn't change moving forward into Legacy. Once they split the banned lists, uh, most of the decks that were legal in 1-5 were no longer legal. They banned Workshop, they banned Bazaar of Baghdad, they banned Mana Drain, and they also banned Goblin Recruiter. Right, which was interesting. (laughs) But what that did was basically turn off the combo engine, but it didn't really do anything to stop the aggro side of the deck. And at the at the time of that split, the main place that people were looking for information about Legacy was either uh, the Mana Drain, which was the primary uh, vintage message board, or uh, MTGTheSource.com, which was the primary Legacy. Oh, 
it was one five and then became the primary legacy uh message board and the the goblin lackey test was a thing it was like your deck needs to be capable of dealing with a turn one goblin lackey on the draw otherwise it wasn't going to be considered to be viable there were a lot of decks that just folded to a turn one goblin lackey and if you couldn't answer that turn one goblin lackey your deck wasn't ever considered to be realistic at all so and it's, you know it's important to keep in mind this is back in the day where we didn't have fatal push we didn't have abrupt decay we didn't you know your turn one removal was very limited like you're looking at lightning bolt swords to plowshares yeah it was really there were only a few different cards and in specific colors like black didn't have a good one drop removal spell the closest thing we had was ghastly demise or vendetta yeah so you know you're you're sacrificing a huge amount of um quality in your card pool in order to be able to warp your deck to be able to answer this one specific card and it was it was prominent at that time that uh, the format was really warped around the presence of Goblin Lackey on turn one. You know, you 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 thought of Nimble Mongoose as one of your best turn one plays, not because it was good. I mean, it was good, but it was one of the few creatures that would be able to beat a turn one Goblin Lackey into turn two Cycle Gem Palm Incinerator, kill your one drop, right. attack with Goblin Lackey, and, and hit. Because that's really, I mean, we've we've kind of danced around this this uh, concept of this goblins deck by naming some of the more powerful things. But at its heart, because of Goblin Matron and Goblin Ringleader, it's really one of the first really potent, like silver bullet type decks where you have a tutor inside the deck, you have a draw spell inside the deck that's not blue, that's not a spell. It's creatures that are doing this thing. And you have the ability to jump ahead on curve, and you have creatures that act as removal. You have creatures that act as card draw. So Gem Palm Incinerator, huge benefit to the card. Being able to spend two mana and kill basically whatever's in the way of your goblin lackey was huge. Right. It's it's a great point. I mean, it, it goblins was one of the first decks to really exemplify who needs spells, I'll just play creatures. And this That's is a right. time when spells dominated the competitive scene. You know? Yeah. We always talk about creature power creep. It, this is before all that. This is back when, you know, you were still getting real shitty creatures and you were okay with it because all the spells were super powerful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so with it, I just want to, so uh, when uh, legacy becomes a thing, um, recruiter, I also wanted to kind of put in context, was also banned at the same time as skull uh, clamp was too that's important also yes because for a brief window skull clamp was also legal in goblins and i'm sure anyone who has played with or and against a skull clamp <laughs> after hearing us describe how easy it so is to goblins. get a bunch of goblins in the play <laughs> now add skull clamp on top of that <laughs> um but yeah this is around the same time in tomb and frantic search were also banned um and ringleader never made it into legacy it was just too good um, recruiter, you mean? Recruiter, yes. Sorry, not okay. ringleader. Um, that would have been too good. Oh, also, so many goblins. It's hard to it's hard to keep them straight. <laughs> uh, another cool uh, one with the food chain deck that uh, the goblins deck could do uh, was they could also run Charbelcher. Oh yeah. And with recruiter, you can stack your deck to be a bunch of goblins on top, and then activate your Charbelcher and actually hit them for full damage. <laughs> 
So you could actually play Char Belcher without running only a single land like modern day Belcher decks do. <laughs> I don't think there were too many Belcher decks that tried to do that in Legacy. Well, no, there wouldn't have been because there was no Recruiter. Yeah, Recruiter yeah. recruiter wasn't legal. So it, this was more of an extended deck because Food Chain Goblin uh, Goblins was also an extended deck for a bit. Yep. Um, it, it was kind of funny. So this was a time around Onslaught block when Goblins was a competitive deck in every format except for Vintage. It was in standard with uh, Goblin bidding, which is something we didn't talk about. But when Onslaught came out, um, there were Goblin bidding decks that ran Patriarch's bidding, uh, which is three black black, uh, choose a creature type, return all creatures from the graveyard to play with that creature type. And so it runs it with Skirk Prospector and Goblin Sharpshooter. So you sacrifice all your creatures to Skirk Prospector, make a bunch of red mana, use your Goblin Sharpshooter to untap and ping your opponent, and then either use that mana to play more goblins or cast Patriarch's Bidding, return all your goblins to play, and do it all over again. And even aside from that, and I know this because I played Elf Bidding in Extended around that time also, uh, just... Playing against decks that are very removal heavy or that play sweepers, wrath of gods, that kind of thing, uh, having a card that you can rip off the top of your library that just says I win, <laughs> yes, is, is super powerful. <laughs> you know, because it's again, it's like an aggro combo deck in the sense that like you're playing out these creatures and being the aggressive deck, and your control opponent has to react to that. They can't just let you play a bunch of creatures. And so the best thing they can do is sweep the board. But then you play bidding, and you know they just tapped out to sweep your board, and now you put fifteen power worth of hasty goblins in play. And it's, it's, it was a very powerful deck. And this is a standard deck. This is a standard yeah. deck we're talking about. So imagine how that translates down various ver- uh, versions of the deck in extended 1.5 as we, as we start to solidify around legacy and uh, you know what legacy becomes. So Onslaught Black was awesome. Onslaught Black. <laughs> I, I will always love Onslaught Black. It was my first, it was my first block and I'll, I'll always love it. Um, also, uh, important with Onslaught Block, uh, coming at the tail end of Scourge is, uh, Goblin Warchief was printed. And that's what really allows Goblins to kick it into high gear with the aggressive side of things, instead of just being a combo kill, because Goblin Warchief gives all your Goblins haste, which means you can actually win on the same turn that you find all your Goblins and go off, and you don't expose yourself to a Wrath of God. Um, so even though Recruiter was banned and we weren't able to do the combo finish with uh, Food Chain anymore, uh, Scourge gave it the deck the tools to just pivot completely in the direction of being uh, an aggro deck and eventually sets it on the line of where it is today of being kind of like an aggro control type deck with this in kind of the same vein as Death and Taxes. Warchief also opened up a lot of really big nut draws for the Goblin deck when it came to Goblin Lackey. Um, because of the uh, the other ability, which is uh, your goblins cost one generic mana less. Uh, so you had things like you would play your turn one goblin lackey, you attack with it on turn two, and you drop a uh, war chief off of it, and then you play two goblin pile drivers for red red. <laughs> right. And then the next turn you attack for lethal. Yeah, that was insane. <laughs> you know, like the aside from the war chief, the other way to do that is you could drop a siege gang commander off of it and then play a pile driver. Um, which I think is, if I remember right, 17 damage on turn three. But um, 
But the Warchief and two power drivers is like a classic line that, like, as a person that was not really playing goblins but was losing to them a lot, it was like, <laughs> okay, just cross your fingers that it's not Siege Gang and it's not Warchief because either one of those is really bad for me. You know, please draw some cards off your ringleader. Right, exactly. So the deck, the deck could do work. Um, that's to say, though, there wasn't uh, a complete disappearance of um, <laughs> goblin combo decks. Uh, I just I came across this in my studies. So in 2006, uh, Ben Starks uh, top aided worlds with a deck called Dirty Kitty. Dirty Kitty. <laughs> which oh, what? It's called yep. the the back when magic deck names were great. Dirty Kitty yep. was uh, Ben Stark's deck. The, the name came from Scott Jones, who said that it's like watch watching a monkey wash a cat. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, was that the fecundity combo one? It was. It was yeah. the fecundity combo one. <laughs> what a crazy crazy deck! So fecundity <laughs> is kitty. a it, yeah is an enchantment. Uh, it's two in a green, I believe, or two in. It's two and a green. Yeah, two and a green. Whenever a creature dies, that creature's controller can draw a card. So it uses a bunch of the red rituals and empty the warrens to make a bunch of goblin tokens. And then uses fecundity and skirk prospector, which is the card that sacks a goblin to add red to your mana pool. To sack the goblins, draw a bunch of cards, make a bunch of mana, and basically then just play out the deck and as it as became you know known with fecundity and a skirt prospector out uh mog war marshal uh which is a creature that when it comes in it's a goblin when it comes into play it makes a goblin token when you have fecundity and skirt prospector out mog war marshal turns into an ancestral recall and a black lotus <laughs> with the amount of cards in uh mana that you can make that deck's crazy so meanwhile in legacy uh in 2005 we had the first Grand Prix, the first Legacy Grand Prix in Philadelphia. And uh, for those of you who were not playing around then, which is probably most people, uh, it was won by uh, John Sony, or Sone, I, I don't remember how to pronounce his last name. Uh, he was running Goblins, Mono Red Goblins. He beat Chris Pakula in the finals, who was playing Black White dead guy rogue dead guy l as it's called but it's basically like um like a rock deck essentially but it's black white um you know dark confidant type stuff with like sinkholes and uh swords to postures vindicate that kind of thing right um but what was really interesting about that match was that john had four engineered plague in his sideboard that was a mainstay of a deck that could play mm -hmm. black cards in Legacy at that time. <laughs> there were, you were so likely to play against goblins so often that you played three, sometimes four, engineered plague in your sideboard. And you weren't naming elves. That's crazy. Yeah. That, oh my god. Yeah. So, uh, so John Sohn won with Patron of the Aki, which is a Champions of, the Ga of Kamigawa block card, and it has uh, Champion goblin or is it is it champion Cham i think it's champion, yeah, champion goblin, goblin. Mm -hmm. so it you basically you can sacrifice goblins to make it cheaper by whatever the goblin's mana cost is and it's a six drop for a five five but what's important is it's not a goblin <laughs> so it's uh i think it's like an elemental or something and even if it is a goblin it's a five five so like it survives engineered plague uh and that's actually what he used to beat chris pakula in the finals of that tournament there was also another Goblin stack in the top eight of that first Legacy Grand Prix. Uh, 
Wait, this it is was. the this is the first official Legacy Grand Prix. The, the first Legacy Grand Prix, and yeah. it was it taken was, down by goblins. Wow. It was it was won by goblins. Yep, it was. So the the top eight played out, and it was two goblins decks. Uh, Chris's black white dead guy Al deck. Uh, so that's three. Uh, there were two threshold style decks. I think there was a a Bant one and a uh, Teamer one, as we would call them now, and then. Gamekeeper Salvagers combo, and oh, yes, Gatekeeper deck. <laughs> and uh, I'm struggling to remember what the last one was. So it was two albums, Chris, uh, two Threshold. Uh, it might have been three Threshold. Uh, the Gamekeeper Salvagers deck. Yeah, I, I don't remember what the other ones were. Um, I'm kind of impressed that I can remember those off the top of my head, to be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, and. Yeah, I was at that Grand Prix, and uh, Chris signed my meddling mages at that Grand Prix. That was, uh, was a long time ago. Uh, ninth place was Solidarity. Dave Gearhart was Solidarity. Ah. It's a crime. It's a crime that he missed it on tiebreakers. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, the other the other deck, the other Goblins deck was Tom Smart. Uh, he took top four with Boros Goblins, and it had uh, Swords to Plushers in the main deck for other Goblin lackeys and you know whatever other creatures they want to kill on turn one. And it had Disenchant in the sideboard because Circle of Protection Red and Engineered Plague were so prevalent at that point that he splashed white so he could deal with sideboard cards. I almost feel like these this era of magic is where the like the legend or like the mythos of like next level sideboarding comes from. You know, being able to predict the field so much that, you know, people you know people are running these uh like Circle of Protection red, so you're you know splashing entire color to have answers for it. I think I think there was a little bit of it here, uh, and but I honestly, if I'm and this is somebody who has a heavy bias towards Legacy at that time because that's my favorite era of Magic ever. Um, I think it was a lot of carryover from people who were pro Magic players that were used to playing in Extended because the the format looked a lot like the Extended season prior to that did. There were a lot of carryovers between those. So a lot of the sideboard cards were pretty intuitive because of that. But um, you know, when you can when you can break the format down into like four different decks, it's pretty easy to figure out like, okay, what do I need to beat those decks? And if you are those decks, it's pretty easy to be like, okay, well, what do they have that they can beat me with? Especially because in two thousand and five, uh, there just weren't as many cards. There if you know, there's we're we're talking about like literally half as many cards exist at that time than yeah, do now. It's true. So it's it's So a- your options were a lot more limited. Right. People were playing Tividar's Crusade. Yeah. You could look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it does. <laughs> it's one white white for a sorcery that says destroy all goblins. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yep. Oh man. Yeah, that was really uh, you know, a golden age of uh, legacy right in the beginning there. Um I mean some people <laughs> it probably was, hate probably it was an age, it. all right. Yeah. <laughs> some people probably hate it, but man, I do do love uh when goblins uh was a super competitive deck. Um also when it made the transition over into legacy, that's when it added like Rashad and Port and Wasteland, correct? Correct, yes. And it, and actually I think that was a little bit later. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head if either one of the decks from that Grand Prix played Rashadenport, but I know they played Wasteland. Although the the Boros deck only played three Wastelands. So I believe but, I believe Rashadenport came into play when Aether Vial was printed. I agree. I think that's around what happened. Uh, when when you when you had this new ability 
where eight of your one drops now cheat mana versus four prior to that. Right. You could really afford to use your lands for other things. And uh, I think really the only options that you had for like creature lands at that time were pretty bad. So it was like Mistress Factory. You could play Mistress Factory, I guess, but the rest of them kind of sucked. So you weren't really trying to play like um, Barbarian Rings for like extra abilities, and you weren't trying to play. I, I forget what it's like, Gitu Encampment or something like that. Is the is the two one first striker? Mm-hmm. Um, so like you, you didn't want to do that with your lands, but being able to disrupt your opponent was huge. And again, it was kind of a metagame consideration too, because one of the decks that popped up in the wake of that banning was land still carried over, but it switched to blue-white land still instead of being... And in fact, that might have been one of the other decks that top eight of that tournament. Uh, blue-white land still ended up, instead of like the, the mana drain style uh, blue-red land still that was existing before that. So Wrath of God was a, was a constant consideration for you. Uh, there's other like weird stuff like moat being played and like humility and stuff like that, but there were a lot of like four mana sorcery speed things that you wanted to stop them from doing. So anytime you could hit somebody's dual land with a wasteland, or you could hit somebody's you know basics with a Rashad and port to keep them off of their four drop sorcery speed answers, it gained you a huge advantage as the aggressor. Yeah, I I think it can't be overstated enough the wrath of God effect. Like wrath used to be the premium reset for the format from what I remember. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so being able to keep people off four, like it's wrath was then almost like what Jace is today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being able to keep people <laughs> off of that and decks off of that is, is pretty huge. It was a simpler time. It was, it was a, a simpler, simpler time. time. <laughs> so, uh, where's that take us up to around like 2010? No, not even yet. We're not there yet. Don't rush me, man. So, There's a little bit more. My apologies. Sorry. Where are, where are we in the timeline? We are at the best tournament that ever happened in the history of Magic the Gathering, if you ask one man's opinion. <laughs> I see. And when... Grand Prix Grand Prix Columbus 2007, ah. also known as GP Flash. Yes, Flash Hulk. <laughs> so, yes, if you remember, uh, listeners, from our last episode when we covered Reanimator, we <laughs> talked uh, pretty extensively about Flash Hulk, uh, as it was kind of a pseudo-Reanimator deck. But yeah. uh, what, did, what did Flash Hulk mean for goblins? Uh, it meant that they were not really viable. Like I, I honestly, to, to be no fair, one, every other deck was not viable. In right, the right. Flash I, I would have never. Like, you could have bet me any amount of money that goblins was not going to be a deck at that Grand Prix, and I would have taken that bet a hundred times over because it just didn't have the tools that you needed to compete. Uh, I did play in a couple of Grand Prix Trials where there were people that were main decking for Leyline of the Void in their Goblins deck, and those seemed to be okay against Flash because they had four main deck Leyline of the Void, but I did not expect to see Goblins in the top eight of that tournament. So, but so trans- as it turns so, so out... just transition that. How does Goblins going go from the top deck in the format winning the GP to being borderline unplayable? Well, aside from the fact that Flash existed as a deck... Um, by that time, the metagame had evolved quite a bit, uh, and I think that Goblin still was viable at that time until literally that weekend. And then once that weekend hit, it was never really viable again. And the big problem was Tarmogoyf, but we'll get to that in a minute. So... 
for the last two or three years, Goblins has existed in Legacy, and it's basically the boogeyman. Like, it's the deck that everybody needs to be able to answer in order to be able to play the format. Uh, Flash happens. They change the power level of Rat on the card Flash. That deck is discovered about a month and a half before Grand Prix Columbus. And the format becomes two decks. It becomes Flash, and it becomes Fish, or, like, basically green, uh, blue-white hate bears. There's Meddling Mages, Thalia... Um, you know, those kind of cards that are going to stop you from being being able to play Flash Hulk. Well, Goblins crushes Fish. Just destroys it. Like, it's it's not even close to remotely good against Flash, but it just crushes the deck that's supposed to crush Flash. So, one Owen Turtonwald got second place at Grand Prix Columbus, with a pretty straightforward Goblins deck. It didn't have a lot of flashy stuff in it. It didn't have a lot of, like, problematic cards for Flash. It had Goblin Sharpshooter, which helped against one version of the deck. And it had some sideboard slots. It had, like, Tormod scripts in the sideboard for the combo that tried to use the um, Kiki-Jiki and... Uh, the like reanimator strategy. There were there were two different versions of it. One of them used Disciple of the Vault. The other one used Kiki Jiki. The Kiki Jiki version got shut off by Tormund Script. So, uh, with a pretty straightforward list, uh, really a couple of sideboard slots were really the only things that he had that were different than a normal stock list. Uh, Owen just kind of crushed all the decks that crushed Flash, and he took it all the way to the finals where he lost to Flash. <laughs> he just dodged long enough. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So that the the weird part about that tournament is that uh, it was in a time where the set releases were not tied to events; they were tied to dates. So the date that Future Sight was legal was actually Sunday of that Grand Prix. So it wasn't legal for the main event, but it was legal for the side events on Sunday. Um, Tarmogoyf didn't catch on for a while after that. Not in Legacy, at least. Then it wasn't really a card in Standard at, the, at to the level that it was in Legacy. Um, but that card, the card Tarmogoyf, almost single-handedly killed off Goblins as a deck in Legacy because they couldn't beat a Tarmogoyf. It it didn't matter what you were doing if your opponent played a turn two, three, four. It was better than what you were trying to do as a deck. You could get in with your Goblin Lackey, and maybe sometimes your opponent didn't have a removal spell for it, but whatever you were dropping was going to get stonewalled by their Tarmogoyf on turn two. And Tarmogoyf was big enough, usually, by the time that your opponent dropped it, off, you know, a fetch land on turn one and maybe a cantrip, and, you know, like a counter spell or something, whether it worked or not on turn two. Uh, usually you had it somewhere around like a 2-3 or a 3-4, to the point where, like, even your normal go-to plan that I was talking about earlier, where you would play your turn with Lackey and then you would cycle Gem Palm Incinerator to kill whatever their one drop is, it's never going to kill a Tarmogoyf. Because now they have a creature in their graveyard too, so your your Gem Palm Incinerator is inherently making the Tarmogoyf big enough to survive the Gem Palm Incinerator. Right. So, uh, so you just had this four of brick wall in basically every deck in Legacy at that point that you were just running into over and over and over again, and you couldn't beat it realistically. Um, one of the guys that I talked to a lot about Legacy at that point, uh, that was a local, he was kind of prominent in the in the 1-5 scene prior to Legacy, and he was a, a 
religious Goblins player. Played it for from day one until it wasn't viable anymore. And when Tarmogoyf was released, it was during the time when... So he had kind of given up on the format a little bit when right after Legacy uh, started because he was an old school 1-5 player. But he was trying to get back into the, the scene when Tarmogoyf got released. And he immediately was like, this card's too good, I can't beat it. And he put four Tarmogoyfs into his deck, and he actually ended up cutting Goblin Piledriver for Tarmogoyf because Piledriver was terrible against an opponent oh, attacking <laughs> with Tarmogoyf, and Tarmogoyf was better at blocking and attacking into Tarmogoyfs than uh, Tarmogoyf was than tar- than Piledriver was. So he was playing like one Piledriver as a tutor target with Matron, and he was playing four Tarmogoyfs in his Goblin's deck. So he was willing to take the, the, the miss on Ringleader because the card was just too good. That's that's great. People who played back in Onslaught block days know just how powerful Pile Driver is. Like taking Pile Driver out is a big statement from a Goblin's yeah. deck. <laughs> it's almost like a Delver deck taking out Delver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I mean, you 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 move on through other things that happened after so Tarmogoyf was like the big first crack in the armor of goblins and it's stranglehold on the format. If, if, if Tarmogoyf was the first crack, Delver was the nail in the coffin. I would say Deathrite Shaman more than Delver. Well, Delver Delver was was first. Delver was right before. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So, so Delver was, well, maybe not Delver actually. Now that I'm thinking about, let me, let me think this through for a second. I think, what you found was the aggressive decks that were capable of taking advantage of Tarmogoyf were better than the ones that couldn't take advantage of Tarmogoyf. That combined with the existence of Wild the Cattle, and then when uh, you added Bloodbraid Elf into the mix as well, the Zoo decks were beating goblins at their own game and beating decks that goblins couldn't beat. Right. So Zoo was a huge problem for goblins. So it was another aggro deck that occupied the same space in the metagame that goblins was supposed to uh, exist in, and it beat both the matchups they couldn't beat and beat it. So Zoo was a huge problem for goblins as well. Um, you had a, a another one drop that was just as powerful as Lackey in Wild and the Cattle, very often was big enough to be able to survive whatever they were trying to throw at it and uh, and stop the lackey cold even on the draw. And you had removal spells that were better than goblins' removal spells and more prominent. And you had a top end of the curve, which by top end I mean three drops, that were just out outsizing everything that goblins could do. So it was it was a very difficult time to be a goblins player when Zoo became really prominent. And then they printed Delver, and Delver basically pushed zoo out of the metagame right but it didn't matter because now you have a one mana three two flyer and that's just that's bonkers also in blue <laughs> in blue <laughs> the best yeah. color so goblins just kept getting hammered and hammered and hammered down and then for me the final nail in the coffin is is death right shaman the fact death that right printed... was definitely the time when it was just like all right we give up yeah when they printed a one mana one two like so important for blocking lock lackeys as we've said time and time again lackey is the linchpin that holds the deck together. Now it was basically every single color has an answer for it on turn one most of the time, and now Deathrite Shaman is becoming the most played card in the entire format, and it perfectly matches up against a lackey. Yeah. 
Yeah, and even, I mean, even your traditional decks where, like, let's take combo decks, for example, right? Like, their answer to Goblin Lackey is, I don't care what you do on turn one or two, I'm going to kill you on turn three. Or you've got reanimator decks that are saying, and because at, at one point in this time frame, reanimator was insane. And uh, and they were saying, like, okay, do whatever you want. I'm just going to cast Entomb, and I'm going to go get, uh, l- like, literally any target in my deck. In Elishnorn. Yeah, Elishnorn yeah, <laughs> or, you know, Gristlebrand, because it's a 7-7 with lifelink. Like, it doesn't matter which one of their things they're going to get. They're all going to beat you. Um, so it was, it was, like, the decks that are trying to play small ball, their small ball is bigger than Goblin's small ball. Which means, you know, usually if you have two aggro decks that are competing against each other head-to-head, whichever one plays the bigger uh, game is going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the faster deck has to be way faster in order for them to go under whatever the top end of the other aggro deck is. That's why you had stuff like Big Zoo in, in Standard or, or Modern at the, uh, at the time when they were decks, where you would play, like, Baneslayer Angel in your sideboard of a Zoo deck so that you could beat the other Zoo decks. So going bigger than the other aggro deck is always good. Um, and then the other decks just went way the hell over the top of them. They just went way over and way faster than they could deal with, too. The the other thing, too, that really held Goblin's deck, and it's a reason why Elves continue to be popular and Goblin's didn't, is while Elves got cool new cards like, say, Deathrite Shaman, <laughs> Goblin's didn't really get any new toys for a long time. And when it did, it was like one, like... Cranko Mob Boss came out in 2013, and that was like tossing goblins a bone. <laughs> yeah, the one the one goblin top eight from a Grand Prix that we missed was in Atlanta in 2012. There was a uh, uh, Sawyer Lucy ran a three color deck, and this was kind of like right in the time frame when I want to say this was right around when Emrakul was printed. Mm-hmm. The first time, so there were a lot of decks that were trying to put Emrakul into play in various different ways. I think one of the decks that top aided that Grand Prix was like a black-blue combo deck that did it with Sheldock Isle. Oh, um, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> it was the only time that deck ever showed up on anyone's radar, and it was an awesome-looking deck, but it was terrible. Yep. Uh, but it, it was like... If you knew what that deck was trying to do, it was really easy to stop it, but it no used, one knew what it was trying to do. They were like, what is this Sheldock Isle card doing? I'm not oh, going to wasteland yeah. that. It taps for a blue. Let me kill this Underground Sea. Right. So, uh, so actually, uh, Lucy's deck was three colors. It splashed white for main deck Thalia, another situation where it was so combo-heavy that you were sacrificing your goblin presence in your main deck for a card that disrupted. Right. Uh, and then in the sideboard, he played three Gilded Drakes, which was crazy to me. It's crazy to me. <laughs> but uh, Emrakul was so popular at the time. I, Sneak and Show had just hit the scene, so it was like a lot of people were trying to put Emrakul into play. And you know, if you play Show and Tell and they play Emrakul, and you play Gilded Drake, you get an Emrakul. Right. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah. So that, I mean, but that just kind of just shows the angles goblins has to bend over into yeah, in order to yeah. like fit in the meta still right like the core of goblin lackey goblin ringleader goblin matron goblin warchief goblin pile driver is what you expect to be the center of whatever goblin deck you're using and and what we found is while elves would get things like uh nettle sentinel where it would just, like, break open the deck in a, in a totally different and new way. Crater Hoof Behemoth, you know? Mm-hmm. Progenitus. 
um, these these crazy cards that really like put it over the top and into competitive territory again. Goblins is getting stuff like Sting Scorcher, yeah, where it's like okay, we we have a one of that is situationally useful for when somebody plays a giant fatty and you got to get it out of the way. <laughs> um, but it but it wasn't really getting like the power additions to the deck, and I think part of that is because that core was powerful at a time. So there's this thought. Of you know we don't want to give goblins too much because we don't want to put them over the top. Yeah, people have memories. Like at this time, yeah. people still remember. You know, just a couple of years ago, goblins was the best deck in the format. You guys remember that? You really want to go back to that? <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a lot of institutionalized memory that way with with the format in general, where you know you you don't see goblins a lot because it's not really that good anymore especially compared to some of the crazy stuff that we can do in the format now but every once in a while you see somebody at a tournament at like a you know um, a side event tournament at a grand prix or whatever that that's playing goblins and it's like 2008 goblins the deck has not changed at all since then and i think a lot of that has to do with nostalgia and people just like they have this niche that they like to sit in and that's what they're going to do you'd be surprised adam so i've been noticing more and more goblins decks have been popping up in top eights. And actually one of our listeners posted a link. There was a shop in Germany that had a hundred person legacy tournament and goblins was the second most represented deck after Texas Delver. Wow. You know, and you know, that kind of makes sense. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before about like the next level playing and sideboarding and stuff. And if Grixis Delver, which, you know, is a relatively tempo-oriented deck, is a big part of your metagame, then maybe Goblin Lackey isn't that good, but the rest of the deck's probably pretty good against them. Yeah. You know, like, how do they beat a Siege Gang Commander? Right. I've I've been seeing a lot of Goblins decks. I've played against... I played against Goblins at uh, Star City Games Worcester last month. Um, you know, Goblins is definitely a presence, and it's coming back, and I mean, that's, I think, what we get is, so for one, in 2017, Deathrite Shaman gets banned, uh, yep. which means Lackey can come That's a big deal. That yeah, is a big huge. deal. Like, that is just n- opening the crack of the door so goblins can peek through. And then goblins got two very strong uh, prints, uh, new cards recently in Goblin Crater Maker and Goblin Trash Master. Right. Um, so I actually, from the Sneak and Show perspective, uh, goblins used to be a buy for Sneak and Show. Go- you know, Sneak and Show just didn't care. You know, yeah, and now they have a really clean answer to Emrakul. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's like, yeah, they have the Sting Scourger, but it's a one of. They probably don't have it. I'll just if I, they have it, I'll just go for it again. But now with Crater Maker, like they have that. Uh, plus, I found myself in the situation where with uh, uh, Kiki Jiki, uh, they can just keep making Crater Makers and keep you yeah. off that line of play for the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, so that plus Goblin Trashmaster, which is a new Lord. Um, I think that though, that is a, a potent combination that's been added back to the deck and we don't really see it in Goblins itself, but I think we also have to ma- mention a uh, Gobble Goblin, uh, wow. Goblin Rabble Master. Um, yeah, there's, I, so both Rabble Master and the other one that's basically Rabble Master 2.0. What's I forget what that one's called. Legion, um, Legion War Legion Boss. Legion Warboss, yeah. Uh, those two, I mean, like, if you want to look at Goblins as just the deck that runs a bunch of Goblins in it, like, these, <laughs> these mono-red prison decks actually have a lot of game. I watched a lot of, um, a lot of video content, and um, there's a lot of it on Magic Online, 
where people are just trying to use two mana lands to play a Goblin Rebel Master on turn one, and surprisingly, it gets there a lot of times. Gets there a lot. Well, as the joke is, uh, test players like to say that they're the Goblins deck. Because they, <laughs> sure. <laughs> they sure. have the empty the Warrens. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then also... Fun fact, I may have been the first person to ever put empty the Warrens in a storm combo deck, a dedicated storm combo deck, but it was an extended. Ah, quite interesting. I played it in the extended perfect storm, which was T E P S, which was the precursor to T E S. And Brian and I worked pretty heavily together on the T E S list when we decided to make a five color storm combo deck. Um, but a lot of that work was done on MTG Salvation. There was like a forum where there was only like maybe five or six people that were working on the Perfect Storm and Extended at that point. And we were trying to pour a vintage deck into Extended, which was, you know, not very good. Mm, gotcha. That's funny. But yeah, I mean, Goblins were still seeing, uh, you know, play, but the, now they're just kind of coming back. And I, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that this deck that was there at the beginning of Legacy, you know, the first ever Legacy GP was... The beginning of Magic, really. Yeah, the beginning of Magic, especially. Like, it just really long history in the deck. And it's come and gone in ways. Like, it's it's been powerful. It's been unplayable. It's been powerful again. Um, you know, we might be seeing it coming back up on an upswing. One of the best things about Legacy, in my opinion, is that you can have a, a pretty long break from Legacy, come back into it, and not feel like you're way, way behind, right? Like, you you get guys, and this happened to me a lot uh, when I was, you know, running tournaments and, and trying to garner up interest in, in local tournaments at a store. You, you got guys who played in the 90s who have some deck, like, that has, like, beta sinkholes in it because they had sinkholes when they were you know they were playing as a kid or you know they they played in like 2006 and then they haven't played again since then and they come back and legacy is the place where all their cards are legal so they want to play legacy and the first thing they ask is like is goblin still a deck <laughs> like almost uh, invariably like is is goblin still a deck is like the first question they ask and it, it's really great when you can tell them like yeah that deck that you know you remember is maybe there's a few cards different in it but the core of that deck is really similar to what it used to be um it's really it's really awesome and the thing is like some decks they come back and like a few cards are different but it's like very different with goblins yeah. like yeah it's a few cards different but the different cards are cranko war boss and you show like <laughs> a casual person coming back into magic cranko war boss they're like yes yes this is what i would like to do <laughs> yes yeah it's like you get a guy who played like i don't know like uh like canadian threshold in like 2006 and you're like well yeah i mean the deck is still there but like Werebear is not really a card, and you're not playing Mystic Enforcer, and, like, Nimble Mongoose has come and gone a little bit, but no one really plays Mongoose anymore. Here's these $400 worth of cards that you have to get to be competitive with this deck. Yeah. He, Versus well, Goblins, where it's like, oh, you already have ports and wastelands? Cool. Here's the $3 bulk rare, or, you know? Right, exactly. I'll give you this Cranko. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, I think it's very, very cool seeing it come back. Yeah, I think it's good for the format when stuff like that is, is still viable, because it means that, you know, it, it really is an eternal feeling format, where, like, this is going to be at least... Maybe not tier one, but it's at least going to be competitive forever, right? Exactly. 
Awesome. Well, I think that takes us up to uh, the modern day. I wonder if we're going to see. We have a lot of uh, big events coming up on the horizon. So, yeah, I'm excited. Star City game Syracuse in March. March, March second uh, and third. I'll be there. That's five minutes from my house. Yes, and then at the end of March, uh, our friend Jeremy is having another Legacy Five K in Missouri. Uh, we're gonna have him on the cast in a couple episodes to help uh, hype that up and talk about it. So there's that. Then there is the Legacy leaving a Legacy open April sixth, and finally rounding it all off uh, on, of course, Easter Sunday and Passover, <laughs> uh, the Legacy GP in uh, Niagara Falls. I'll be there too. You will. Uh, I'm. I'm I will. really trying to go. It's. I. I don't. It's going to be rough taking off Easter, but I might. I might be able to swing it. I can commute from here for that, so I. I don't necessarily need to um, have a hotel or be there the whole weekend. So I know I'll be there on Saturday, probably Friday. Definitely Saturday. I don't know about Sunday yet. We'll see how the plans go. That's where I have to. I have to look into. I think it might actually be easier for me to drive than fly. <laughs> It's if you're in Boston, it's what it's an eight hour drive exactly. about. But so the, that's not that's not terrible. Yeah, but the flights are miserable. So, <laughs> yeah, um, especially that weekend. Yeah, it is. It is what it is, unfortunately. So I'm going to try for Niagara Falls. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm definitely locked in for Syracuse, though. So hopefully we'll see some uh, some goblins decks make uh, make a turnaround. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be in costume. Awesome. I don't know which one yet. You gonna play goblins, Jerry? Should I play goblins, Pat? I was asking, you're gonna play goblins? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'll uh, I'll rent it on uh, Mana Traders tonight, and I'll try it out. <laughs> I would have to probably get the entire deck though, because I'm sure I have 75 percent of the goblins deck. However, it is scattered in bulk bo- boxes around my house, <laughs> and I think I would rather just buy it than try and find them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can get behind some goblins. Nice. I still need to choose a deck though, Pat. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I haven't decided if I'm playing in the main event of that yet or not. Um, it really, de- I think it depends on what I can bum off of people because I don't really have oh. many cards anymore. Let so me, we'll see. Let me know. But, uh, I'll bring you a deck if you need a deck. Oh, don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Just shoot me a list, man. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, but yeah, should we uh, should we get this wrapped up now that we have taken it to the modern day and we're looking towards the future of goblins? Yeah, sure. Um, Jerry, you want to get into scoops and and uh, scoops in the top eight? Scoops. Let's do it. Um, am I starting? I got two. Uh, first, I wanted to scoop in uh, both uh, Brian David Marshall and Frank Karsten because conveniently, while I was researching for this episode, they wrote uh, history of goblins uh, articles in like two thousand and four and two thousand and five. I want to say when Frank was Frank Karsten's, so it was a good refresher for me, and it was also interesting, like seeing people's perspectives. Like if you ever want a hoot, just like go back and look up like old magic articles from like 2002, 2003. And just like people's perspectives on magic is very funny because they're old enough to like look back at early magic and say, Oh, we were so silly then. But then from our comparison, another 10 year, 15 years in the future, we're like, Oh, they were so silly. <laughs> You're still then. pretty silly. <laughs> right. It's like this weird, weird, like introspective thing where like, they're looking back at their past and thinking how funny it is. And we're looking back at them thinking how everything's so funny. <laughs> That was a really good article for me, too, because I remember, you know, I was clearly present for most of the stuff that was going on that at that point in Legacy, but I wasn't really paying attention to, like, the more uh, prominent magic 
formats. I was very dedicated to Legacy at that point, so I wasn't really conscious of what was going on in Standard and Extended with those decks at that time, so I really enjoyed those articles, too. I appreciate you posting those. Yeah, uh, we'll include them in the show notes. Um, and also, we got to include your article, too, uh, Adam, for people who didn't get the first time around. Heck yeah. I, it's it's amazing to me that those came out almost a decade ago. I know, Because right? when I got towards the end of doing that, I was like, well, I just wrote about this like last year, so I don't know if it's really that w- worthwhile for me to do it anymore. And then here we are, <laughs> you know, eight years later. Still talking about them. Yeah, um, yeah I remember them. They were some of my favorite uh, articles back in the day. Um, also, for my second scoop, uh, our friend uh, Eric has started a new store. A new magic store is opening up in Massachusetts. Yeah, so definitely want to get the word out about uh, that. Uh, Eric's a great guy, and it's at 15 North Main Street, uh, Suite B4 in Bellingham, Mass. Yeah, so that's a great spot for people who are out, you know, outside the city. Um, you know, I feel that area of Massachusetts doesn't really have very, uh, you know, a lot of good legacy game stores. Um, but that's awesome. He's opening up. He's going to do uh, every Wednesday night is going to be Legacy. And he said he's going to start try and start up a monthly tournament series for Legacy, uh, which I think is would be awesome if we can have another, you know, I, I miss going to like monthly 50, 75 person Legacy tournaments. Those are those are some of my favorite tournaments because they're nice and compact. You can get through them in a Saturday and, you know, really get get your competitiveness out. We drove to a lot of those in the early days of Legacy. A lot of those in Massachusetts in particular. Yeah. So uh, Time Vault Games in Bellingham, Mass. If you're in the area, check them out. Scoops. I've got I've got two. Uh, the first one uh, is the hashtag MTG Squat Squad, which I know a couple of us here are members of. Uh, those of us that are trying to bust our ass in the gym and get better and encourage other people to do that as well. Uh, it's nice to see a little bit of crossover. You know, speaking of the sports ball stuff. Uh, when, when we try to take an active role in our, in our physical health, because we work so hard on our mental health, um, both progression and, and just, you know, health wise. Um, but I think a lot of magic players in particular are pretty sedentary people. So it's, it's nice to see that kind of stuff catch on a little bit and, and hopefully people will check that out and encourage each other to continue. I had no, um, I had no idea this group existed. I'm glad you yeah. brought it up. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. There's, I mean, there's maybe like half a dozen of us right now that are using the hashtag, but it's like we're just, you know, taking pictures of whatever we're doing at the gym or whatever, and uh, and it's not specific to people who are squatting, although we are trying to focus it on that a little bit. But you know, whoever's in the gym and trying to work hard, that's all it's about. <laughs> you you either have to top eight a GP or squat two hundred and fifty pounds for access. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not putting it. Yeah, there was a long time ago. There was a thing on Twitter that somebody asked was like, "Does anybody that has pro points bench over three hundred pounds?" And I got tagged like seven hundred times that day, and it was like one of the best feelings of my life when I was just like, "I'll be the meathead, dude. That's fine. I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and then my other scoop is uh is to hobbs q on twitter uh he and his wife just had a baby oh, i think i saw yesterday. that congrats so to congratulations him. to them yeah awesome no poops for me just positive good uh, keeping it positive hell yeah sweet well uh adam i look forward to me uh meeting you in person at syracuse absolutely yeah, yeah, I I love hanging out with you guys. This is always a blast. Hell Anytime yeah. you guys want me on, just let me know. Definitely. I mean, we got more decks of uh, legacy history to cover, so there will definitely be more in the future. Let's make it more more frequent than almost a year. I did not realize yeah. that almost a year had passed since the last episode. Time flies. 
I'll tell you, I when we were talking about this and, and proposing topics, I really got kind of a hard on for the idea of doing like the wacky off the wall combo decks that have existed throughout the time. <laughs> Hell like, yeah, let's do that next the, time. <laughs> the non storm combo decks that are just like, here's two cards that go infinite together. Let's build a deck around it. Yeah, those are whew, that's really my wheelhouse as a deck builder. Oh, so let's do I'm it. all about that one. Talk about like hive mind, uh, yes, coalition victory dream halls, painter's servant, yes. Uh, uh, grindstone swans of Bryn Argol. there's so many freaking terrible combo decks is, i tried to break is that a seismic uh, swans variant yes ah, yes awesome. except you use chain of plasma instead of seismic assault <laughs> nice uh what else was there there was i i tried to break dancing golem uh uh composite golem and uh and corpse dance that, that goes it's nice. it's infinite gravestorm i don't know it's yeah like there's been some really strange ones over the course of the year so it's it's pretty sweet oh that's awesome oh, I'll, I'll dig up some crazy ones for you yeah. guys next uh next episode let's just go through magic's history and just talk about wacky combo decks that came up along the way i think our listeners will get a kick out of that they'll have to have gatherer or scryfall open the whole yeah. episode i can't wait <laughs> that will not be an episode to listen to on a long drive I, have you ever done that like listen to a magic podcast and they start talking about cards and you like you can't <laughs> yeah you're just like have you ever have you ever pulled over at a road stop to look up a magic card because i have <laughs> <laughs> i can honestly say I've never had to do that. <laughs> oh man, I don't know every card from all of Magic, but I know most of the r- ridiculous ones. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Of course, yeah, man. It was great to have you. Um, also, you know, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all the stuff that we do. You can find Jerry at JME3RD. You can find me at Pat Uglo. The stream is twitch.tv slash leaving a legacy. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. We have uh, play mats to send out to people who are, who are our patrons on there. Find us on Hipsters of the Coast. Join the Facebook group. And uh, you can email us uh, questions for the show, leaving a legacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. And of course, thank you to Justin Lutz. He's our audio tech, our sound engineer. Yeah, we'll catch you all next week. Did you? See, I forget who it was. Someone tagged me on Twitter today. Magic the onion, onioning at <laughs> an article that was like, uh, local magic player makes uh, like fifth attempt at sports ball joke uh, falls flat at FNM. <laughs>